Hello, America. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Vince. There in the background. You talk about faces for radio and podcasts. These two guys have it. Hey, welcome to your Leo Nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett, and you know you are in the place where we believe in and support the rule of law, self responsibility, and civil society. And with us today, we have a gentleman who does exactly and believes exactly the same thing. I am proud to have on today, Jason Lehman. Jason, how are you doing, sir? I'm having the time of my life, sir. Thank you. I, see, I love the attitude. Happy guy and a guy out there actually making a difference. Jason, you and actually, you and I actually met through a, a mutual friend. Uh, actually, oh my God, you know what? I think it's probably back several months ago. You and I start talking, and we both had busy schedules, and finally we got together. And I am, I'm really excited and grateful uh, for your time. So, um, with that said, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little, little about yourself. You know, kind of starting with uh, your law enforcement experience, maybe a little before that, if you like. Sure. So. Um... I'm actually from New York City, so if I sound a little bit funny, Mark, it's not me, it's you. So I just want to make sure we got that straight. Um, but uh, I grew up in New York. I got myself into a world of trouble as a kid, actually. And um, unfortunately, as a 13-year-old, um, something I'm very not proud of, I was arrested for attempted murder. Um, there was a um, an arrest for me knocking a UPS man out cold with a brick and putting him in a coma. And I did not do that purposefully. I was throwing pieces of bricks from one building to another, trying to break windows. And I did not have the cognition to think that down below was the sidewalk. And so those bricks were hitting the building and they were going down. And, um, you know, uh, I, they, they were not able to file charges on me, even though what I did was horrendous. And, um, my mother picked me up, moved me across the country to the state of California, which is what, what got me there. She actually married, a wild jazz musician she met on a cruise ship named Magic John, a guy who looked like an Amer- uh, looked like a uh, an Albert Einstein kind of guy. Told everybody he was American Indian, had had fires in the rain, and smoked a peace pipe on Thursdays. And so, if I'm a little bit off, Mark, that's where it comes from. It's that <laughs> that guy raised me in Glendale, California. So I played football um, all the way through the University of South Florida. I, I had dreams of playing beyond that. Didn't work out. Came back to California, and um, you know, I, I it's wild. I got into a bar fight. And while I was working on the transport ambulance for the LA County Fire Department and doing, you know, thinking about this firefighter thing and bouncing at nightclubs and coaching football at a local high school in Long Beach, I literally walked into a bar and got into a bar fight with uh, what at the time was uh, one of the sergeants of the Long Beach Police Department's gang unit. And, you know, I don't want to tell you who won the fight. <laughs> I got, well, when, 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 when I have my thoughts picked, on that. Yeah, when he picked me up off the ground at the end of the fight. So your thoughts are wrong. Um, you know, Sergeant Don DC Campbell, uh, may he rest in peace, but, um, he, uh, he brought me into the agency and, um, you know, mentored me through the process of becoming a police officer. And for the first year and first few years in law enforcement, I lived the idea that their parents should have taught them better. And I realized that no matter how many times I say it, their parents are not going to teach them better. So I could either become an educator in the field. Or I can keep blaming something that's not going to change. It will not change. The lack of parenting in America is not my concern. It's not. I, I can't change that. Maybe you can. I can't. Not single-handedly. And so what I started thinking about was I started thinking about where can I make a difference in law enforcement? Now, it was unfortunate because I thought that I was the parent for the first few years. And I thought, you know, I got to scold some people. I was raised that I treat people with respect as long as they treat me with respect. But once they treat me like an a-hole, I treat them as such. And I realized that force on force, it just creates more force. When it creates more force, it creates more fear. And fear is the root of all acts of violence. So if I want violence to continue, I have to engage in violence as a cop. If I want violence to change, I have to do everything possible not to engage in violence until violence is absolutely necessary. Because I took on a few years into the job, I got onto a gang and violent crime suppression team. And I kid you not, I was, I was dealing with dozens of internal affairs complaints. I was facing 12 internal affairs complaints, either as the accused or as a witness within the same time frame. All at once, Mark, this is before early warning systems and all this other stuff. 
And so here I was making bad decisions, going out there saying, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to put the hammer down. I'm going to drop the hammer. I'm going to do these things. And I realized I was never going to get hurt. You want to know why I was never going to get hurt? It's the same reason you were never going to get hurt because people aren't going to hurt us. We have too much safety. We're not going to lose. You did not want to lose. I do not lose. But I didn't think about Officer Janice next week. I didn't think about the rookie a month from now. I didn't think about those people that were going to be judged for wearing the same uniform I was wearing and coming off kind of like a dick. So now I'm a professional a-hole. I'm doing it all right. I figured it out. And so I have to convert from being the, the bad cop, really, gray area police officer, to now converting to the professional dick, to now learning how to communicate and be an educator and realize, you know what? I now have to right my wrongs. Because of all these times where I thought that I was going to be over aggressive in order for people to want to listen to me. And sometimes that has to happen. But sometimes that just builds more fear. And when I leave them, all they do is sharpen their sword. See, when I drop somebody off at jail and they say, thank you, I know that I valued the process and they valued it with me. If I drop somebody off at jail and I figure out how I can get them into a special holding cell because they upset me that much. What I'm doing is I'm putting it in a place where they can now sharpen their sword. And when they get out and they get access to that proverbial sword, they're going to go out and they're going to find somebody like me and they're going to have to come in and they're going to have an issue. And so through this whole process, which a young man in a high school classroom brought out in me, I realized that I have to seek to better understand the a-holes, not the regular people. I already know them. I'm already good. Like, I'm pretty good being good to good people. <laughs> I just, it doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> not, a, not a hard thing to be good to good people. It's pretty damn easy. It's the people that don't understand what the way I want to be treated. And the way I want to be treated is a way they were not raised to understand. If they were raised to understand it, they would comprehend and do it. They were told these things. They were explained these things. But they most of the time have not conceptualized the human behind the uniform. So they see the police officer, as my nickname back in the day used to be Tiny, as Officer Tiny, this heavy-handed, over-aggressive police officer, which, by the way, I represented hundreds of thousands of police officers doing these things. 185 years traditional policing has been around. And I've, I, I represented a lot of heavy-handed activities. People that meant well, but the culture said, go hard. Go hard or go home. And so, or as a matter of fact, go hard or don't go home, right? And so right. I had to sit here and I had to think about how could I still make sure I maintain safety while showing a capacity for vulnerability, care, and concern. And that is where service with concern and this idea of restorative policing is coming to a head right now. And it's unfortunate because we see all of these things that we think are causes of what's going on. But all those things that are causes of what's going on, they're all proximate causes. They're not root causes. Root causes happen way before you and me. And so we that's really where Why'd You Stop Me got formed. But Why'd You Stop Me got formed to teach inner city community members how to cooperate with the police. It's a nonprofit since 2012. Um, 2014, we became a nonprofit. But since 2012, we've been doing teaching to teach youth and adults that are in difficult or resistant setting, jails, prisons, after school programs, juvenile halls. Places where coffee with a cop just doesn't exist. Like the people that, you know, we, we have to talk about coffee with a cop as a community engagement strategy. You know, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Do you know that no one that wants to hurt a cop is going to go have coffee with them? Like it is not, yeah, there's no, there's no book that's, there's no plan. There's no nothing like you and I, as we sit here and we drink our coffee, right? As I hold up my mug, right. we're talking because we have some kind of commonality. Right. And so right. it's those kinds of ideas. So what I want to do is I want to be able to show people how to get through a police contact while feeling empowered to do so. But that takes them receiving education and feeling empowered to do so. And then what I want is I want to eliminate the police officers that are not doing it right. Right. I think all of us do. Nobody wants the Derek Chauvin's out there doing things to hurt all of the other great cops. There are so many amazing protectors that leave their family every day. And unfortunately, some of them do not come home right? One every 72 hours gets killed in this country this year, right? All of these things happen. But if we're going to be safe and we're going to be effective, we have to take the people that we think are dangerous and the ones that are going to be contentious to our con contact. And we have to show them we care about them. <laughs> it seems weird, but it's proven time and time again 
through all of these different cultures, the buildup and the breakdown of cultures. It's all, I mean, the Navy SEALs, the United States Navy SEALs, how do they function? They function by building bonds with the locals. And the locals tell them where the next bomb was planted. Why? Because, and you think the locals like the Navy SEALs? Most of them don't. And they go in there and they say, hey, we want to learn your language. We want to be close to you. We want to protect you. Tell us what's going on. And they build those bonds with people that most of the time they probably have some type of bias about and they overcome it. So from there, from that training with the community to date, we've trained about 230,000 community members in 22 cities and five states. And I know the number is not huge, but we're working to keep on keep on growing that number. And then from there, in 2016, we started a law enforcement training branch. And you know what? The last thing I wanted to do was train cops like the let me look. Let me let me chime in there. It's a great point. Why is that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, um, it, it most of the listeners here are going to be law enforcement, pro law enforcement. That's great. By the way, I really appreciate anybody willing to listen to me. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Because we're regular old people just trying to bring a message out, right? Um, people in Type A positions, doctors, lawyers, um, you know. Even the lead guy at UPS, nobody wants to go back to training to learn stuff they already think they know. And so for me, when they told me, hey, you're going to go and you're going to teach communication to the cops, I was like, yo, I can't, I can't do that. They're in my head. I was like, they're untrainable. Now I know cops are learned. They're trainable. They're, they're very good at what they do, but I can't go into a business and say, hey, uh, jewelry salesperson. Can I tell you how to sell jewelry? They're going to go, no, I already know how to sell jewelry. Well, come come hang out with me for eight hours. I'm going to teach you how to sell jewelry. Well, to me, that's what I was thinking about when they said, hey, you got to train cops. I said, well, cops are doing pretty damn well. How can I train them? And then I started thinking, you know, let me give it a shot. Let me start giving giving it a shot. And let me do something different than regular law enforcement training. And, you know, it, it's embarrassing to say this. Cops don't take real tests. You know that just as well as I do. I knew, I knew it before you were a cop. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cops don't take real tests. Cops take tests where they have study guides. Cops take tests where they, where they, they take a multiple guest test. And if they mess it up, they get to take it 16 times. Cops don't take real tests. And so, and that's in a lot of professions. It's not just the police world. And so what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to have specific, verifiable, realistic, ongoing training. And that training has to be from a system where we put out information and we then say, give me this back and show me you understand. And so through scenario-involved training in our classroom setting, we do that. And then we ask about a 20-question evaluation and survey, which doesn't say, what was the best part? What was the worst part? How was the instructor? We don't ask those things. We do, but we ask more so the issue of, do you see a higher value now in engaging with difficult and resistant people? Do you think that you engaging in this way is going to make you safer in the future? Do you think it's going to make a community member safer in the future, right? Because officer safety is actually a term that I completely disagree with because officer safety happened in Uvalde. You and I watched it in a hall room of a a high school classroom. I'm sorry, elementary school in in Uvalde or whatever. We watched that. We watched officer safety. We are engaging in safety, Mark, safety for the entire community. We signed up to keep everybody safe. And you know what? That does mean we have to be in a, uh, uh, put people in, in, at, at the disadvantage. It does mean that. It does mean we have to pull guns out and point them at people. It does mean that we have to use force. We do those things, but we do them at the lowest level. And we do them at the lowest level, not for officer safety. We do them for safety, man. Like we do it for mm-hmm. safety of human beings. And so in this law enforcement training, because police officers, oftentimes my perception was police officers didn't want to go to training. My perception came from me. I don't want to go. To, I didn't want to go to training. I love training now. I seek training. I'm, you know, I, I look, I have leadership coaching and all that kind of stuff that I get involved in, but it wasn't that, it wasn't too easy. And then to, to top it all off in 2012, when we named it, Why'd You Stop Me? And again, another story, probably for another podcast. But 
when we named it, why'd you stop me? I never thought a cop would get forced in this training call. Why'd you stop me? Are you kidding me? You're immediately turning off a police officer. It's like, oh, here comes a person of color to tell me I'm racist. Like that's immediately what why'd you stop me means, right? And so, and for right. some reason in law enforcement, the only person that could teach bias-based policing has to be a person of color. A white person could never teach concepts. It has to be, right? So all of these different ideas come into my head and I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm a white guy. I can't do this. It doesn't make any sense, right? All of these different ideas. And so- Ultimately, by getting into the classroom and doing this training, I realized that police officers, they actually seek to train once the training answers their why. Until we answer the why, we're not doing very well. But you know what's crazy? You ask a police officer how frustrated they are about the new generation. You know what they're going to say? They always want to know why. They always want to know why. Why couldn't they just do it? Well, I've realized that when I teach a senior police officer why, they're really excited. And I also teach that when the younger generation seeks the why before they before they do it, you know, it's funny and it's proven. They make less mistakes. It's funny to think that. So when somebody like when you and I were raised, I'm going to guess you were raised this way. Hey, just do it. <laughs> like, hey, do it. Because why? Because I told you so. Thanks. Go do it. We probably Pretty made, much. We, we probably made more mistakes than people that are actually getting the why up front. When you front load the why, you immediately know why. And so you make less mistakes. And so yep. we think about all those things. So ultimately, that's where the law enforcement training came into. Now, Why'd You Stop Me has 12 law enforcement training systems. Um, some are for the community. Some are for the police. We have joint trainings. We have a resisting arrest diversion program. We have programming for leadership, supervisory leadership program run by instructors that also work with FBI LIDA. We have um, promotional process uh, um, instruction. We have all different kinds of instruction, instruction at the academy. And um, last year alone, we in this in this last calendar year, we provided 188 trainings. My company did. Um, my so goodness! We, well, I'll tell you right now, I I could use the uh, promotional uh, element. It took me three <laughs> times to pass a sergeant's test. So uh, I wish I knew you win. That's all right, but man, that's, that's, all right. that's no yeah, joke. So, so that's well, where we're at. Well, well, this is this is great. I mean, you 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 packed a lot into a, a few minutes, and there's so much to expand on. And um, so a couple of things. So to to play devil's advocate, going back to, um, and I think you use the term restorative policing, restorative justice. And the first time I was really exposed to that term in a really kind of a practical working sense um, was several years ago when I was on another agency's promotional panel uh, from lieutenant to, to captain. Very, very large agency in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> um and that was part of the uh, evaluation about uh, a potential captain's uh, understanding of and uh, use of restorative justice in dealing with, obviously, uh, younger offenders. And, and you said something that, that um, struck a nerve about it's been proven that restorative policing works, you know, works, works, works very well. So and I've talked about restorative justice on the podcast before. And what I've read and what I've experienced tends to have me believe just the opposite, that it hasn't been very successful. In other words, that we often see um, a high rate of repeat offenders um, that are exposed, not all, but there's a high rate of it. Now, and I want you to expand on this and, and, and make your case that sure. do you have information to actually show that restorative policing or restorative justice success, successful and people getting people back on the right right track? Yeah. So- when it comes to restorative policing, I'm not putting restorative justice and restorative policing into the same terms. I don't believe they are the same. I believe restorative justice speaks about the justice system, which is involved in courts, mm -hmm. corrections, and the police. So there's three phases to the criminology system, right? I believe that restorative policing talks about on-scene engagement. Gotcha. Not, and by the way, I'm glad no, you made this clarification. Not, That's a big else. distinction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's important to, for us to clarify that. I don't believe any system works unless the people that are teaching the system are fully invested and fully expert in the system. The mm -hmm. problem with that comes in the, in the play of, we only have 12 trainers in our organization, right? In our organization, we do not have a train the trainer program. There are programs that I could name off that do train the trainer programs, right? Principal mm -hmm. policing, fair and impartial policing, um, you know, uh, ICAT, um, ABLE, all of these different programs. They're all very, very effective at the first level. And then what happens? 
Then we go and we give them to the community and we give them to the police and the guy that we asked to go train at a big agency, very, very big agency in Los Angeles, right? They work at an academy, right? They're SWAT guys. They right. signed up to teach weapons, firearms. So what do they do when they ask a cop to do this stuff? They say, hey, guys, I need you to go out there, hug thugs, kiss babies, and here's six things you can say. One, two, three, four, F them, six. That's not going to work. And it's the same thing for the community. If we don't embrace the community when we train community members, that's not going to work either. So what I'm saying in, in working is this is my me looking at my watch, my shift, and myself. Did I see that I was safer when I was more vulnerable in my communication on scene? And a lot of people think vulnerability and safety can't go hand in hand. They 100% can. That's the reason you don't fight your wife. Like <laughs> you're you're vulnerable, right? You're, you're well, vulnerable I don't I don't fight my wife because I would lose. Miserably. You would lose. That's true. Right? Yeah, I got. Let's it. be clear about some of these. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. But you but you understand that you know in our in our four part system and the system is what I'm talking about. I think restorative policing will be the next termed level of policing. We went from traditional, professional, community. I believe restorative will be the next level, but we have to get past some of the ideas of the brokenness of it. It's just like community policing. Community policing is, mm -hmm. it, at 90% of it is a gimmick, brother. It's an absolute gimmick. The people that we community police, those people we don't get in issues with. They're not, they're not at the mm -hmm. park. They're not, they're not in the dance video. Like they're not, they're, they're just not there, right? So there's, there's a way, and by the way, I think all of those things are helpful. And I could go, I could talk mm -hmm. about that till the you know it's cows come home. But I think that what we want to do is we want to show people, we want to identify who can actually do this, who are legitimate mm -hmm. intermediate level trainers that can go out and talk about how you can utilize a system of fairness to use force. Like, well, let me let me ask let me ask you this, Jason. Yeah. Again, there's so much, and I. Just uh, I hear so many things that I find fascinating, and, you know, just as far as, as discussion topics that you're sure. bringing up. And one you just made was about, look, and I agree, look, I, I caught for 30 years and about almost 15 years of that. I was actually on patrol as an officer or sergeant and worked in a lot of communities of color. Mm -hmm. And actually where I live right now is a mile away from one of my old beats in, in unincorporated Altadena, California. It's been a lot of time up in that area. And you're right about um, that almost all the people that we engage with in the community, community policing, community outreach, are the people who support us, or at least the very, very worst are the people that that don't cause problems for their community or for law enforcement. They just want to go to work, go sure. home, take care of their kids and things like that. And the people that we really need to be engaging with uh, don't show up or, or maybe we fail at reaching them. And it, it goes to a, a, a finer point of, I think for the most part, people understand that a very, very small percentage of any community costs most of the problems, whether it's yeah. a small community, it's a town, it's a city, it's a county, it's a state, it's a country, a very small percentage of, of uh, the occupants, the citizens actually cost the vast, vast majority of the problems. How do you... How do you see that when you're talking about community policing, which I know that you're not a big fan of that, that phrase, but restorative policing, how do you, how do you see that in a practical sense as far as dealing with that, with that, with that fact? No, I think I'm, I 100% agree. There are, there are, not only are there people that are good people making bad decisions, there are bad mm -hmm. people. There are wholehearted, deep at their roots, bad, they are not going to change. That is the reason why police officers carry guns. This is the reason why police officers have to engage in violence. This is the reason why police officers cannot adopt an idea that you cannot shoot into a moving vehicle under no circumstances. Like there are horrible people out there. They are again, the very, very, very small piece of this community that police officers are engaging with, right? And you know, right. it's interesting you brought up Altadena because I trained the entire Pasadena Police Department, start to finish. Right, down, right down the street, right, right a lot of friends there. Right? And so in that, in the training in Pasadena, when I provided that training, right, we did research on internal affairs complaints, on police use of force, on those things. And those things dropped with zero extra officer injury. And so what we're being able to do is we're being able to show a police officer that even though it's hard to impact this group, do you know where we always impact them? 
We impact them on the traffic stop. We impact them on the right. pedestrian stop. And we California also, Highway Patrol, baby. There you go. We also <laughs> impact. We also impact them in a positive or negative way when we drive past them and they hold a sign. And what I mean by that is, in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, me being actively involved um, on a skirmish line with the with, with within the riots, right in Long Beach, um, there were a bunch of people holding signs. They were holding signs that said A cab, F the police, you know, mm-hmm. all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know in 2020 across the nation, how many people holding a sign hurt a police officer in 2020? I don't have a number. No. Number zero. They were holding a sign, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's zero. You cannot hold a right. sign and hurt a police officer. They, the, the two well, let me ask you that. that go together, that's right? it. And- and so yeah, the people, and that's the, people holding the people that hurt the police officers came underneath, above, left, right, beside. Right. They're two different people, protesters, rioters. They were two separate people. And so what I didn't recognize is I didn't recognize, and 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 excuse me if this is vulgar, but I didn't recognize that somebody holding a sign like this with their middle finger up, that person most of the time is just beginning into that cycle of violence in their head. And if we well, can, let me let me yeah. let me interject there. Would yeah. you say that also, though, that person hot holding a vulgar sign like that, by the way, not just holding a sign, but in a very, very volatile mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. Um, as the George Floyd riots were. And, and I was on the skirmish lines as well in downtown Los Angeles as a mm-hmm. chief. I was out in the skirmish lines. A person holding a sign with that type of language and that type, quite frankly, incitement. Those are the same people who are not showing up to the engagement uh, community engagement events that we're talking about. Oh yeah. 100, that, 100%. Those yeah, people, they, and they yeah. never will. They never will. And they, never. And they never will. The other thing is too, is you have to, and, until they trust us, they will not show up. Well, until they trust us. But the other thing is too, is, and again, I I'll, I'll take your, I'll take your, your, your stat about, you know, no one holding a sign, hurt an officer. Not that I can find out. Well, they didn't hurt the sign. They didn't hurt an officer when they're holding the sign. But the next night, were they holding the sign or, or holding the bat? Yeah. That, and were, I, my, they, guess, they my guess, my guess, people. My my guess is, well, maybe not. Maybe no, not. I, maybe I interviewed. I, I interviewed <laughs> post George Floyd. I interviewed one hundred about one hundred protesters, and post George uh-huh. Floyd, I did that on my own <laughs> to find out what that answer was. And the people that I right. spoke to were legitimately telling me I held the sign. And you know what? When things started going bad, I put the sign away and I went home because things started getting so bad. I didn't stand right. there, right? Like, I, and by the way, I'm sure it was. A I'm sure there's. Right a, there. I, I'm I, sure that is preponderance. I'm sure most of the people holding signs probably only held signs. But my my point is is that is that uh, people holding signs with that type of vulgarity and that type of hatred for law enforcement mm-hmm. are probably more closely associated with the actual violent offenders than say you know my wife or, or your sister or somebody who's just a law-abiding citizen that's just my guess okay. um but i hear what you're saying yeah, i yeah, everybody right. has the right to sure, protest sure. Yeah. yeah i got a question but, for you uh, and, and this is a scenario a scenario we do and you again you want me to kind of give this to you but so yeah. i was raised on two things in law enforcement um i was raised on a lot but i'm gonna give you two things number one the preservation of animal life was really important so i became a rookie cop i got out of the academy i learned all these ethics and morals I learned that preservation of animal life was extremely important. And then I also learned um, years and years ago, and again, this is only from like maybe four or five people, but uh, my police department had over a thousand people at this time. So I don't want to label the police department. Maybe three or four people told me, you know, you don't bring a louder disrespectful prisoner into booking. Like if, if there's a prisoner that you arrest, they can't be loud and disrespectful in booking because you booking loses control. You can you have to control your prisoner. OK, so mm-hmm. these are things I learned. OK, and they were incorrect. That does not make any sense. There is a freedom of speech with people that are upset. Right. So, um, you know, I would arrest somebody and arresting somebody for me. I was very outcome based means, you know what? I would get stats and my stats mattered. And if I messed up the process along the way, as long as I got the stat, hey, I was that I got a stat. Uh, there was even a saying, a stat's a stat, right? You've heard that right. before. So, right? Sure have. Yeah. And so as I learned this process, um, I realized that there is a system and I'm going to bring you through this system and you tell me what you think when I bring you through it. But um, I arrest somebody, put their hands behind their back. And I don't know if you remember to the last arrest and control te- technique classes where you were actually physically handcuffed. 
it inhibits your ability to breathe a little bit. It's uncomfortable. It's not the best feeling. But you know, handcuffs aren't made to feel good and you messed up. And so you get put in handcuffs. They're not the furry ones that people use at home. Like these are, <laughs> these are real deal handcuffs that people can break out of. And so you make them as hard as possible. You make sure they can't escape and they're temporary restraints. When I handcuff somebody, and this is again, a hypothetical, but when I handcuff somebody, you know, it was crazy. They would be upset at themselves for what they've done. They would be upset because they let down their family, their community, their friends, their parents. They let everybody down, but they made a decision. And it was my job to enforce the rule of law. And so I would handcuff them and they would start getting upset. And it was shocking to me that they would start cussing and flipping out and being mad. Shocking to me until I processed something. Like if you handcuff me and put me in the backseat of a car, I'm going to flip out. Like I'm going to be like i'm not going to be a normal person so now i would right. get upset because back then mark i had these baby feelings about this big and i had a huge ego right huge ego i battle my ego every day every day to this moment right mm -hmm. so huge ego baby feelings so now what would i do they'd be mouthing off and i would have to put them in the back seat of the car because they're going to jail just their their attitude doesn't change anything other than the fact that i want them to go to jail even more just to be honest right like they, that's the way it goes. So now yep. when I put him in the backseat of the car, I didn't, you know, what, you know, my report read, I assisted him into the backseat of a police vehicle. Pretty much. You know why you're laughing? Because we push people in the back of cars, especially when they're mouthing off. Now I push them in the back of the car and I, and I close the door, but I had humanity and I was trained on transparency and community policing. Right. And I was trained on all this stuff. And so they say, Hey man, I can't breathe back here. Cause a lot of people don't realize if they're younger cops, there weren't vents that went to the back. It was really dumb, but nobody had, there weren't any air vents that went to the back. It was just a closed off partition. Right. And you get mm -hmm. air from wherever you got air. So they say, Hey, can you uh, roll the window down? And my love and care would come through. And I'd press the down button on the front window, the front door. Right. And how much would the window go down back then? An inch, right? Two inches? Well, in, in, in my patrol cars back in the 90s, yeah. believe it or not, they went down me, all they the go way. all the way down. Okay, they cool. went all the way, yeah. right, so right. You gave, well, you gave them air, I was perfectly fine, right? Now mm -hmm. I'm on my way down to booking and tell, I'm telling you, there's a conflict that happens and this is a dichotomy, right? This dichotomy of leadership where, you know, I want to look out for people, but I've been trained on a couple things, right? So here it is. Now they're mouthing off. Mark, I'm in such a stressful mindset because I can't bring a louder, disrespectful prisoner to booking. Remember, I got to I got to play by these rules. I learned the practice in field training, even though in the academy it was different. So now what happens? A black cat runs right in front of my car, right as this guy's cussing out my mom and I slam on my brakes. And what happens Damn. to his face? Ouch. What's the, what, what was the term for that? Right. Screen uh, at break check, right? A, I, would say, I would say attitude check, break check. Attitude There's a lot of check, them. Yeah. Break check, screen mm -hmm. test. You and I didn't come mm -hmm. up with that idea today. Right. That was actually a pattern. And mm -hmm. so when I explained that, the outcome was awesome. You know what's funny? They stopped talking. Nobody would want that to happen twice. Oh, they learned their lesson, right? Now I get them out of the car. I bring them in. They're not, they're not, they're not mad. They're not, they're, they're fine. They're quiet. They're sleeping now. They're low key. Everything makes me feel good. I go drop them off. All that's good. And then I had somebody do this to me and I'm going to do it. And you let me know what you think. So how many kids you got? One, one. I'm going to give you a second kid. I'm going to give you a, a I'm going to give you a second kid. I don't want to, I don't want to tell my wife about this. Yeah. I don't want to ask too much personal information about your one, but I'm going to give you a second one. This second one is going to be a boy who's 18 years old. What would you name your son? I mean, Jason's a really good name, but what would you name your son? 18-year-old. That's that's a good one. Uh, uh, let's just go with Troy. Troy. I'm going to arrest Troy. I'm going to be a sheriff's deputy in Altadena, California. You're going to be a sheriff's deputy in Altadena, California. I'm going to go up to Troy. By the way, can I have permission to talk about a hypothetical kid that's not yours? Is that okay? Of course. Okay, cool. All right, all right. So play along with me, role play here. So I go, I arrest Troy. I come to you and I say, hey, Troy committed a grand theft, which is in California. It's what, more than $72 million in order for it to be a felony. <laughs> so Troy's stolen a lot of diamonds, okay? Now that Troy's stolen a lot of diamonds, I come to you. I even show you some video of Troy in the store. I say, hey, there's probable cause to believe Troy did this. We're going to arrest him. You are at home in Altadena. I make the arrest there. I put Troy in the backseat of the car. When I put Troy in the backseat of the car, 
I then transport Troy down to booking, but bookings in Altadena and your wife goes to you and says, Troy's only 18. Like, let's go down there. Let's just sit outside, make sure the process is smooth. He made a bad decision. He's still our son. He's still our baby. Could it be realistic that you being an Altadena sheriff's deputy, you may want to go down there and do that? It's possible. Yeah. So for this story, you're going to go down there. So you go down there and I park my car right there, right next to where yours is. And I'm about to pull Troy inside to go get, get him booked. And right when I you get out of the car, I look at you and I go, hey, Mark, man, I'm uh, I'm real sorry. And you're like, what, Jay? On the way down to booking, Troy started cussing me out, man. He called me a fatty. He hurt, pissed me off, man. So I accelerated at 30 miles an hour and I, at 30 miles an hour, I slammed my brakes on. And a Another police officer pulls Troy out of the car and now his nose is over offset and there's blood dripping down his lip and onto his chin and down onto his chest. As a father, next to the woman who you promised you would protect her and her children, tell me the emotion that runs through you right now. My emotion will run through me uh, would be far, far more volatile about his initial arrest than about uh, getting brake checked. Right. And I'm telling you that honestly. I got it. My right. wife no, and I have this. My, yeah, my wife and I have had this discussion mm -hmm. and thank goodness, you know, I'm not surprised. I, that's why I married her. She and I are on the same page about this. Obviously, we love our kid like anybody else. Mm -hmm. But we've talked about these types of things. And, and you know, when I was going through training, not only in the academy, but I had some great FTOs and uh, with the high patrol. And we always talked about, hey, you know what? Every time you pull somebody over, pretend that's your mom, pretend that's your sister, pretend that's your wife, pretend that's your child you're pulling over. So I always boast about the CHP, and I do believe the CHP trains her officers as well as anybody else. Yeah, I love that. But I yeah, love by the, yeah, by the way, would, would I be absolutely infuriated if if Jay actually brake checked my kid? Absolutely. Um and, and cause some type of injury? Absolutely. Is it inappropriate? Is it immoral? Absolutely. But my first thing, this goes back. It's a great scenario. It's a great it's scenario. Not, it's not over. Said. It's not over yet, but go ahead. Oh, I thought oh. it was over. Yeah, it's not and over yet. Just, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, but it's a great scenario because it goes back to something else you touched on earlier about, about I can't, I can't, you know, I can't remember I said it earlier, but I can't, I'm not, I can't be responsible for, you know, why did this kid, why did this person become the person they are? How did they get here? You know, it's the society's fault, it's the parents' fault. I can only do what I can as an officer, which is absolutely true. However, it doesn't mean that we can't consider why someone became the person they are. Sure, is sure. there anything we can do? Sure. So this goes back to, because it really hits home because it's a core value. And if you, if you look at our website and every time I open a, a, a podcast, there are three tenets I talk about rule of law, self-responsibility, and a civil society. Mm -hmm. So it takes some of the responsibility off of law enforcement. I talk about it a lot that our first responsibility is to ourselves in the sense of we need to police ourselves. And damn it, my kid, who's very young, but has learned the hard, went the hard way, but he's learning very clearly that he's responsible for himself, mm -hmm. nobody else. So, so anyway, but yeah, there's two, two things can be true. I would be absolutely furious if that happened to him, but I'd be more upset and disappointed and concerned about the initial arrest. So please finish the scenario because I want to hear it. It's very interesting. Yeah, so now Troy goes into booking, right? Let's say you you don't kill me at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm literally <laughs> going to see myself. I'm, I'm, By the way, I'm you are a big, strong dude. I, I wouldn't kill you. But I'm, I'm probably, if I saw that happen in that situation, I would have to battle rage so bad because nobody's going to break my kid's nose. I don't care right. what crime they committed. I don't care what they've done. Unless my kid is trying to fight the officer, which the kid had never done. It was all verbal. There was no words. There was no talk about resistance other than verbal, right? And that whole idea, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That That's unbeatable. <laughs> that's, right. uh, that's like the coolest right. little tenant, right? So it's, it's, it's a great it, one. It's a great one. And so, you know, and I'm a pretty simple dude. Remember, I played football in college. So my degrees, right? My mm -hmm. undergraduate work, I, I took an underwater basket weaving class, Mark, in, in University of South <laughs> Florida, and I got an A. And I never got wet. Like, so like for me, the trust me, like this was, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed sometimes, but now what happens when I see somebody holding that sign and it took me until about 2022 to figure this out. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate that I couldn't figure it out in 2020. I thought about it a little bit. 
But in 2020, what's to say, Mark? And tell me, you're 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 a smart guy, and I think this is probably gonna you're probably gonna get this. What's to say the person holding that sign in 2020, their father wasn't somebody who got brake checked by Tiny? Could be. And if that happened, Absolutely and if that be. happened, I'd be holding the sign too. Maybe I'm too simple. Maybe I'm, yeah. but you know, when I go to a bad restaurant and it sucks, I don't go back and I tell everybody it sucks. Maybe I'm, maybe it's me. I don't say, hey, yeah. oh, there was one cook that did something wrong and I, I'd like to go back and give it a shot. You, I don't know. Maybe you do that, Mark. Maybe you're that advanced. I'm not that advanced. I just don't like the restaurant. I don't go back. No, I, right? well, I'm, not that, that directly, I'm not that advanced. Either. That directly correlates to self-responsibility. Yeah, whether, it does. whether it's at the so, restaurant or whether it's whether it's holding the sign, you're saying I don't like the restaurant and I'm holding a sign because I want people to see the people cannot do what Jason Tiny Lehman did in the past. What they're missing right. is they're missing that there's years removed. They're missing that 98, 99% of people are doing it right. They're missing those things, but they haven't had those experiences. And because of aspects of media, social media, because of those ideas, they're getting filled with this negative idea that bad things happen to people that maybe look like them or to people in their community, right? Those kinds of things. And so I got to be able to give them a little bit of leeway because I actually have talked to them. And I don't know how many sure. you talk to. And when I talk to them, what? I realize they're just, most of them are just as law abiding as your, what would you say, your wife and your kid or my wife and my kid. I'm not married. I'm getting married soon. But my girl and my kid, I got two things. I got two kids. They, these people mm -hmm. are just as law abiding for the most part. They're really, they really yeah. are. Well, and so that, that, that's the combat to what, no, not the combat, but that's the, the other side of the coin of what you're saying. Cause I hundred percent see your side, your thinking. Like I see the fact that when we see things, we think a certain way, 100%. Mm -hmm. But what I've done is I've been, I've completely like when I did policing in my last maybe 10 years of law enforcement, I went into areas and I didn't just do a parole check. Like I went into areas and I sat with mom and dad and had food with the parolee, spent mm -hmm. hours in their home, went and played checkers in the middle of people smoking weed everywhere and drinking just to be able to recognize what it was like to be around these folks and for them to see me as human. And you know what they never did when they saw that? They never hurt me. As a matter of fact, there were mm -hmm. issues where I was in a fight or I was at a problem and I, they had my back. And they will not, people will not have my back until I show them I care. What's this big leadership tenant? People will never care what you have to tell them until you care what they have to tell you, right? They will never care that you care unless you show them that you care about what they have to tell you. So you have to be able to, in leadership, I have to let people influence me before I can influence them. Now, there's some danger to that in, uh, in, in critical incidents. Some of that has to be circumvented, right? You can't do some of that right. stuff. But that's the approach we take. Allow people to influence you, and then you can influence them. And that's a one-on-one -on -one training tool. We're not going to change the world with our company and organization and training. We're not. But if we can make a small dent, if we can help one person be safe tomorrow, police officer or community member, then we've done our thing. And that's the way we think about things. And we think about them by doing it by the positive. I don't know if you've heard it, but I haven't said too much negative about the community. And that's right. where the community th then looks at me and says, you know what, I'm, what, what, what's, a, what's a saying they say in the inner city? I Fs with that dude, right? Like I'll, I'll mess with that guy. He's invited to the barbecue, right? Like that's, those things are the way that I want to be able to get in there and mesh with people who think differently than me. That's why I live in California. I live in California because most people think differently than me. I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of California politics. I'm not a big fan of California decriminalizing everything. I mean, everything, right? It's right. almost everything is decriminalized. I'm not a big fan of that. I think, I think people make bad decisions. They go to jail, they serve their time, but you know, there's a lot of learning that can go on when we deal with people who think differently than us. And they will not learn from somebody that wants to demean or demoralize them or talk badly about them. It's not, I can't walk in and say, Hey, your mom's an idiot. Let me teach you something like that. That doesn't, that no, no, that wouldn't, that work, wouldn't go over right? too well. But, with, that, with but that is what people but, do. That is what people do when we talk about some of these groups or them or the small group, right? We, we, we have a tendency to do that. And it makes me feel like, you know what? I don't want somebody holding the F the police sign. So how do I get somebody to put down the F the police sign? I put down the F the 1% of the community sign. Right. I'm going to put that down. Well, you know, so that I, for me. I, yeah, I, I don't think you or I have ever carried 
that sign, not uh, literally or figuratively. Oh, I've held uh, the F the community yeah. sign. No, no, no. You're, I, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Not you, but, Mark. I have. Right. Jason Lehman has. Right. Like, there's, there's, you can, gotcha. you can Google well, it. I, I haven't. Yeah, there are, yeah. There are lawsuits but, to prove it. There are uh, suspensions to prove it. I have been there, and it is unfortunate, and I am I am absolutely yeah. appalled at myself for having been gone, gone through that. The only community, the only community that that I uh, that that I single out and I hold accountable is a criminal community, and wherever that's found, it's still criminal behavior. And people can talk about the reasons it happens, and and you know how they got there, and this group and that group, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I talk about criminal behavior, so I I hold behavior as the common denominator, and I deplore criminal behavior as you do going back to your scenario about the you know the uh hypothetical son getting brake checked and ended up with an injury make no mistake somebody would hear about that legally from this father but at the same time the same time and i would obviously be heartbroken to see that happen to my child but at the same time my first priority is to allow the system to hold my kid accountable for whatever he may have done criminally we agree on that for sure yeah, and I know we do. I a hundred percent. I know we do. Mm-hmm. I think that we have moved to a place in society where there's more of let's try to understand why this person is behaving like this, rather than more of the accountability side. By the way, we need both. If we don't figure out why something's happening, we can never we can never fix the problem, period. We're just going to let things get worse and worse and worse or keep going in that direction, whatever it is. At the same time, if we start diminishing the accountability side side of things, then it's going to get worse and worse as well. Like you just said about the decriminalization of everything in California, what's happening? It's getting worse and worse and worse. There's more and more crime because we're getting more and more touchy-feely. We're trying to explain all the behavior away. An extreme on either side is not going to work. There has to be accountability and there has to be preventative measures. I completely agree. And I know you're doing your best, you know, to work on those preventative measures and about the chemistry, the relationship and the the approach of law enforcement to de-escalate things before they ever get there. And I think it's commendable. One thing, another thing you touched on, Jason, that 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 this strike a nerve was Uvalde. And you said those guys, and by the way, if there was ever a despicable, humiliating day for those of us in or formerly in law enforcement, it was Uvalde. It it was one of the sickest things that I think either of us, any of us in law enforcement, for that matter, any private citizen could imagine that law enforcement stand around and allow innocent children to be slaughtered. It 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 turns my stomach still, and it will for the rest of my life if I think about it too much. But the reason, thank goodness, that that particular incident is is so glaring is because pretty much i think in our lifetimes we can't think of anything that even comes anywhere near comparison to the mishandling and to the negligence and to the dereliction of duty that was exhibited by those officers yep they kept themselves safe because they didn't do the job they were signed they, they were sworn to do absolutely abhorrent what they did and so to say that, well, there's an example of officer safety, it sure was, but it's the ultimate example of officer negligence and, and a complete disregard for the oath that each and every one of those idiots took. And a lot of them, of course, are, are actually being are, are being held accountable civilly and criminally for it, and they should be. So when we talk about things like that that are very, very um, rare, if not unique, um, it's, it's probably a little bit... Uh, disproportionate doesn't represent law enforcement as a whole. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would, but I think that we could do that about almost anything. And the reason I was using that as a, as a, as a concept is because when we think about officer safety, why are we calling it officer safety? What do you, what well, do you in my case, I'll, I'll tell you right. In, in, in my case, and again, I, let's put it this way. In, in, in any case, we're talking about officer yeah. safety. The officer, he's a guy or, gal who took the oath Mm -hmm. who decided voluntarily to do this job and if our officers don't do everything they can to protect themselves first they can't protect anybody else including their partner 100 and so that's why officer safety now by the way officer safety should never come at the price of violating anyone's civil rights of treating anyone immorally uh 
absolutely not. But we have to focus on officer safety as law enforcement professionals in order to make sure we're there to protect our partner and to protect innocent citizens. So that's why officer safety is paramount in my mind. Sure. So when you go home after you go to the academy, your door is cracked open. Do you practice officer safety? You mean at the house? Yeah, your own personal home. Do you practice officer safety when you go home? I do. Why wouldn't that just be safety? You're not an officer right now. Well, yeah, I practice safety. Thank you. I mean, so you put the well, yeah, so I get it. You put the officer in. There. Why, why do we have to call it officer safety? We're practicing. Well, I'll tell you why. We're practicing. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll an- I'll answer your question. Yeah. The reason we call it officer safety is because we're in uniform, and you step out of a black and white. You're a police officer at that moment. When you come home to your family, you're you're not a police officer in that setting. Okay. So that's why there's a difference because. The person changing their tire on the side of the freeway of a, you know, of a, of a super speedway, 90 mile an hour cars going by and change their tire. It's a very, very dangerous place to be, but they're not officers. So they should practice safety by getting off the freeway to change your flat tire. That's the difference because some people are police officers and some people aren't. Okay. But people that are not police officers engage in more safety than any officers do sometimes. There's guys in jujitsu that engage in safety. There's guys that are negotiators for business that engage in more safety. So when it comes mm-hmm. to safety, I don't want to see the mother of a 17-year-old or the father of a 17-year-old who we have to lawfully use force on. I don't want them to see us as better because when we're at our uh, at our court courtroom testimony or whatever, we're saying what I did was for officer safety. Because that doesn't mean anything to that mother or that father. All that does is sharpen the sword for the next contact. I want them to say what I did was I practiced the safety I learned in the academy. And I practice that safety to make sure that I use the minimal force necessary to affect an arrest and overcome resistance during this instance, no matter what. And that's the safety that I learned. That is learned safety. We all practice our different versions of learned safety. You know what's crazy? I walked into a group of uh, mothers of color in Sacramento, California, and I asked them, when, you get, when, when, when you're dealing with your children, what is the first thing you want them to do when they get pulled over on a traffic stop? And one mother said, and you might find this interesting. One, I was with a guy named Daryl Meadows who works on my team. And one mother said, I'm going to tell my son to pick up the cell phone and call me because that's the last time I'm going to hear his voice. And the rest of the mothers said, you're right. Damn right. That's exactly what I'm doing. None of these mothers had mm-hmm. criminal histories. They were all part of a church group. And they, they're practicing what they think is safety. Now, I can't call that, well, I can't call that community safety. I can't call that um sons of black mothers within the church safety. I can't call that any of that safety. I call it safety. That was an unsafe thing, but in their mind, they thought that was safety. They're thinking that what we're doing is unsafe. And when we call it officer safety, it adds to what they think that we've done before because what the cops did in Rodney King, they said was for officer safety. That was their training. At that time, there was not a switch from one force option to another. That came after Rodney King. They were told, hit him with sticks until you can put him in, in handcuffs. Hit him with sticks. Hit him with sticks. Hit him with sticks. And they used those little weak PR24 things, which, by the way, I don't like. But that's what they went out there and they did. So that's where my take on officer safety is, is to be able to help us for future contacts solely by switching terminology up, not by switching up the tactic or, or strategy. That's not what I'm asking them to right. do, right? So that's the only reason. No, no, I get it. My side, I see your side as well, right? I see your side as well. Right? No, no, and and I, I, I totally words, see right? your it's words. Yeah. Well, it is, and this we could we could have another. We could go two hours about <laughs> terminology and about and about language. And I'm a big believer that in um, that often when when language is is. When people are trying to modify language, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, like you said, um, these mothers, mm-hmm. you know, who get a phone call from their 17-year-old son saying, you know, because, you know, it's going to be the last time he talks to me. I got to be frank. This is delusional. This is, this is I agree. completely I, I, Yeah, I, I, And I know you, no, I know I agree. you agree. I agree. I'm that's just, that, I'm that's just putting, in their mind, that's right. a delusional reality right now, right? Right. I mean, but what I'm saying is the the fact that this group, because you said it wasn't just one person. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have such a large group of people. No, it was small. It was like, it was like eight. Well, it was like six to eight people, right? And we're you know what? It was, right? if, if it were one, so. to me, it's still delusional with that person. But okay, it's eight people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever the group is, to me, that is an incredibly not only sad, but very dangerous commentary. And, and 
with that particular small group of people, they believe that every time that a young black man gets stopped, he's going to be murdered. I mean, literally, that's what they believe, because if he gets stopped, he picks up so he can make his last call to his mom. This is a sickness. The numbers, of course, don't come close to bearing this out at, at any level, but that's bad enough. But to take to for anybody to say that, and again, this is not this is not directed at you. I'm just saying sure. that if we were to change the language, you know, specifically about officer safety, because this group of people believe that every time a black man gets stopped, he's going to be murdered. We are the ones giving in to delusion. We have to be very careful about that. If we don't, if we don't stand our ground and say, well, the reasons called officer safety, sir, ma'am, uh, be, is because police officers do the things that 99.999% of the population will never do. They refuse to do. They won't do it because they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're not trained enough. They, they haven't, you know, they do not want to do it because they're afraid, whatever the reasons, that's why they have to engage in a specific type of training called officer training because police officers engaged in behavior that are unique to police officers, not someone studying jujitsu or someone changing a tire in the freeway. Officer safety is called that because officers are engaged in, in dangerous situations that only officers do. By the way, officer safety is different than firefighter safety. They both train specifically for the types of situations they're going to be exposed to. And that's why we would never call firefighter safety, officer safety, or vice versa, because there are specific scenarios. By the way, my cop, my brother was a firefighter for over 30 years. I never got trained in what he does mm -hmm. because I didn't do what he did. And he trained in fire safety. That's what it's called. Fire safety. Mm -hmm. It's called that for a reason because the training has to be specific to what a police officer does. And I'll tell you right now, this is a little bit ancillary, but God, do I feel sorry for those mothers who believe that I want to murder their 17-year-old no, no, no. son. Me, me, think about my frustration standing up there, right? Like, think about the frustration. Yeah. When it comes to- By the way, Jason, what did, what did you say when they said that? What did you say? We, we, did you we, say, we put them, you guys are off your rocker or it's not no, true? No, we put them through a scenario. We put them through a traffic stop scenario. We asked them to look at what they, what we see from behind when they reach for their And did they, did they come to a different understanding? 1,000%. The majority- What? Not, I love it. It shouldn't shock you. That's the thing. That's what happens. When we sit on one side, and, I, and I'm going to say that you're on a little bit of one side. When we sit on one side, yeah, I right? I respect right. that. We sit on one side. We don't put ourselves over there enough. You can come to any of the trainings. You can come to a resisting arrest diversion program. You can come to community training programs. Any of these programs, you're invited. You know, we'll, we'll I'll do anything I possibly right. can. I, right? By the way, I would come and I would love to come. Two things. I would love to come. And and going back to Pasadena Police Department, we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. Yeah. That's exactly how we met through our mutual friend yep. who've been trained by you. Yep, yep. And he goes, Mark, you got to have this guy on the show. And I remember. And I'm, FBI National yeah, Academy I'm, graduate, good-looking, smart. The whole he's got the whole thing. Man. Wait a minute. A wait a minute. Good-looking or smart? You're, you're good must be smart too. So in in California, no, that's, no, it's got to be a different guy. Well, then. In, Cal in California, <laughs> right? In California, there's there was in 2021 there was 3,576 firearms fatal uh, mortalities, right? And in that mm -hmm. number, 140 fatal police shootings. So police officers are not going out there and going bananas, right? The, the numbers are right. so very low, but I want to ask you a question because I know that you said that those mothers were absolutely absurd, which I can agree with to an extent, especially with that specific statement. I don't think their life is absurd, mm -hmm. but that statement is wild. Let me ask you. Right. That belief, that belief Correct. is absurd. Yeah. You yeah. say, right. You say that you want to make sure that the, what was it? The criminal element be held accountable. Is that, what, what, what did you say? You said the one people, the one Correct. group I don't see value in this in is like the criminal element. Right, like something. No, no, I, I didn't see. Don't see value. I said the one group that I that I single out, single out. specifically the mm -hmm. criminal element, right. whatever community, whatever yep. ethnicity yeah. or or economic, it doesn't matter. Geographic, got it. It's the criminal behavior yeah. that like behavior what? is what I focus yeah, on. Yeah, I love that. What constitutes criminal behavior? Well, it depends on what state you live in, doesn't it? Okay, well, so California, California. A, a double murder three times in a uh, row. No, let's, let, but, let, yeah, let's drop our guard for a second. Yeah. Be a little more vulnerable. What, yeah. what constitutes criminal behavior? Well, to be specific, it's what's defined in, in criminal code in a, a given state or county. Penal code, vehicle code, health and safety code, right? That constitutes exactly. criminal behavior. It actually constitutes criminal behavior as deviance from the norm, right? It constitutes behavior mm -hmm. as 
a violation of what has been acceptable from society as what a violation shall be, right? You know, you have all these different groups, right? The Ninth Circuit Court really helps to create and mold (laughs) where we're at now, right or wrong, right? Well, Mm -hmm. I got to look at you and I got to tell you I'm a criminal. You're you're interviewing a criminal. No, no. What I've interviewed is somebody who's been convicted of criminal behavior, or at least arrest, arrested for criminal behavior, right? Oh, no, you're talking to somebody who speeds every day? Oh, I see. Somebody, you oh, I thought you were oh, talking oh, about oh, your 13-year-old. Your you're talking to a I guy who's been drunk in public? You're talking to a guy right. who's drank and drove? You're talking to a guy who's had right. bar fights? I'm a criminal. Yeah. Right. Well, have, oh, how does that make you feel? You're talking to a criminal, Mark. No, 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 no. It isn't. Listen, I work with police officers who serve, serve time in jail. What yeah. constitutes a criminal? This is important. But, this is important for sure. us to think about. It's it's vital for us to think about that because then once we figure out what constitutes a criminal, when does a criminal not become a criminal anymore? When they're off parole, off probation, when they're right? Because if we're going to think about that, we're ultimately going to treat people differently if they're in that category. We have to. We have to. Well, here's the thing. Right? I'll t- I'll tell you what I'll tell you what constitutes uh a criminal or defines a criminal in, in, in an actionable sense. In other words, on any given moment or a day sure. or someone that's working in a convenience store or someone's walking down the street, mind their own business. It's someone who actually commits a criminal offense, who actually invades their privacy, who assaults them, who batters them, who rapes yeah, them, those who, are part them one who carjacks it. Those right. Now, hang on. Mm-hmm. So that is criminal behavior. The fact that someone may have committed a crime and have served their time, they have paid their price to society, their debt to society, and they don't engage in that, here's that B word again, behavior, I'm willing to give them the pass every single day. But once they commit a new, new crime, they are now a criminal in my eyes until until otherwise uh, you know, adjudicated. So that's what defines a criminal to me. Uh, Someone that, who embraces it, by the way, by the way, you know, there's there's an old joke here. I won't get into it, it's vulgar, but you know what you, you help your buddy, you know, change his transmission in his car, you're not necessarily a mechanic. But if you do that every single day for a living, <laughs> very familiar you know the joke I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So I think that we can we can use these words and you know what defines this. And sure. I and again I'm totally open to that. But when we talk about society as civil society, we have to talk in practical terms. Someone who's committed a crime or speeds or who's 647, I almost said 647. Someone who's drunk. drunk yeah, like drunk. In, exactly. You get it. Right. <laughs> someone who's drunk. Yeah. Someone who's drunk. In public, all your listeners, that's the penal code. Uh, I don't know yes, if it's code anymore. It's the old penal code in the state of California for if you're impaired in public and you can't care for yourself. So that's that's how it works. Exactly. It's also a good reason why firefighters and cops fight a lot. So, you know. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, because cops do all the work and firefighters get all the praise. That's but right. Anyway. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're um, at home planning their dinner. <laughs> but it's one thing to have Love committed a crime. It's another. It's another thing to 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 engage in criminal behavior as a way of life. And and these are two different things. Mm-hmm. There's so many good people who've actually committed crimes, who did something terribly stupid, who have reformed themselves, who've gotten much much better, and who live great productive yeah. lives. And we all know those people. Yeah. There are other people who who decided to. To, to make it a way of life. So that's what we're talking about. But look, here, I would look at Jason. I, this has been so much fun. And again, as I open it up, it, we may have our differences on specifics and things like this. The point is, I know you, and this comes from our, our good looking tall friend at Pasadena uh-huh. Police Department who introduced us. Yeah. And, and he said it before I, I ever knew your name. He said, look, Mark, this guy is trying to make a difference. This guy you got to talk to because he's trying to make where we live, I talk about in general, where we live, a better place for everybody. He's trying to make it safer for citizens, for cops, everybody involved. And based on this conversation, I completely uh, uh, agree with that and believe it. And I really, really uh, uh, salute you for doing the hard stuff and actually putting yourself out there in front of these cops and citizens and trying to do the, the right thing. Jason, I would love to have you back on again. And I'm actually running out of water here in my Me your too. little nation my, cup. My little Alexa cup I'm, is empty too. It's 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 wild. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. We're all trying to get to the same point. I know that. I mean that sincerely. So with that, hey, where can people find you specifically sure. at any website or websites sure. you want to promote? Please do it right yeah, now. So the website is wisdom.org and it's the acronym for why'd you stop me? W-Y-S-M.org. 
Um, please follow me on social media at Jason Lehman 64, J-A-S-O-N-L-E-H-M-A-N 64, and at Team Wisdom, T-E-A-M-W-Y-S-M, um, on Instagram primarily, but also on Facebook. Um, you can send us an email through the website or at info at wisdom.org. And I want everybody to know we will go anywhere in this country to provide a training to any group, um, you know, from the community to the police, from corporate America to government entities. Um, you know, we really do want to be able to spread this message in the best way possible. But ultimately, I think everybody needs to hear this as we close. If everybody takes this idea and makes it a reality, we'll be a whole lot safer in this world. We got to be kind to everybody we meet but we can't let anybody take our kindness for weakness. As long as we go out there, teach people the way we want to be treated and go out there and empower, um, making sure that we are vulnerable yet safe at the same time, I think we're going to do a whole lot better. There's a lot of work to be done. Mark, I appreciate you and the entire Leo Nation and, and, and your, the fact that you are willing to have these conversations and work to build these bridges because I think you wanted to talk about a bridge builder, but we're not going to talk about it. But when you think about these things, right, <laughs> we want to make sure that um, I, you know that I appreciate the time and the value. You know, right now, Mark, you and I will never get this time back and neither will our listeners. And the fact that they invest in listening to this um, podcast, you know, whether it's a dozen or 1,200 or 20,000, whatever it may be, if we can make a change in the way somebody's thinking and have them just really start thinking about things with, while still maintaining safety, officer safety, or any other kind of safety, that's what matters to all of us. But I hope that everybody goes out there, does great things. And, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that you allowed me to be a part of this and you invited me on. I want to thank Sean Dawkins as well. But, you know, the, the truth is the honor is in us learning and growing. And thank you so very much. You know, every police officer out there is wearing a cape and I hope they don't forget that. I hope they go out there and continue to protect because mm -hmm. when somebody calls 911, if they don't show up, nobody is. So thank you all for everything that you guys are doing. I hope that we continue to maintain safety, uh, grow as, as a leadership group. And I want to I continue the, the, the partnership with you in any way possible. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to make that happen. Jason, well said. God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, folks, look him up. And I think he'll be an asset uh, for people who actually want to make this a better place to live. Thank hey. You. Check out your Leo Nation. We're every uh, boy, I'm mumbling. We're every place, folks. Sorry about that. We're at the Instagram, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're every place we're growing. Uh, share it, forward it, comment. I love the comments. Yes, I read them. You know that I reply. Jason, you know I reply. So uh, get them out there, spread it around. God bless everybody. God bless America. We'll see you next time.